morning, everyone. Let me just add one other announcement which uh, has not been featured in the Commitment Day materials. We're going to have a baptism, public baptism service for those who have not been baptised and would like to be. And it's by full immersion, uh, if I can say the uh, way that they did in the early church. And it will be down at Manly Harbour on the last day of the Commitment uh, series on 20th of November. So if you'd like to stay around or come back, uh, it'll be at 12.30 down at Manly Harbour. And I think we've got about nine people so far who've uh, indicated they'd like to get baptised. If you haven't been baptised and you would like to be, please do put on our Connect cards. We'd love to be in touch and include you in that number. Let me pray. Father, we do thank you we can be here this morning. And as we think today about your word and praying, I do pray, Lord, that you give us great confidence and just stir our hearts uh, with gratitude that we have these two wonderful ways to relate to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning, I just want to take us back 14 months. And 14 months ago, I was in the thick of organising uh, and redoing our vision and values for the church and the mission. And I invited about 30 people to come and join me for a half day, four hours up in the upper room upstairs uh, across above the shop properties. And we had about 25 come from across the services. There were people here from 8 o'clock, there were some from 10 o'clock, there were some from 5 and some from 6.30. And Katie Woodward and her husband Blake organised a day of kind of um, thinking and reflecting about us as a church. And one of the outcomes was... uh, the group came up with four core values. Now, that day I literally had to kind of sit on my hands uh, as, if I can say, the people thought about St Matthew's Church and the sort of church that we want to be. And one of the things that delighted me was actually things that were dear on my heart uh, were mirrored uh, that day in terms of the responses of the people. And core values speak about the things that are fundamental for us as a church in terms of what we build all of our ministry upon. And we saw last week, uh, as we, I'll just jump ahead, as we think about this series, that the vision for the church is growing God's church through the gospel. And our mission is to make faithful disciples who share Jesus' love, grace and truth in Manly and beyond. And we want to be doing that, but the question is, how do you do that? And core values speak in terms of what we are on about in uh, engaging in this activity. And the first thing we want to speak about this morning is the core value of Bible and prayer. And let me just say, uh, I was so delighted because in terms of my own Christian faith, uh, reading the Bible and praying have been fundamental even before I was converted. Uh, In fact, my conversion journey was one uh, where reading the Bible and praying were fundamental to me actually coming to know the Lord Jesus. And I remember... um, that late night praying with a person and asking God, look, if you're really there, please do show yourself to me, and this real sense of connection with God. And then as I started to read the Bible, what I thought was just a human document became alive to me. And these two things, reading the Bible and praying, have been fundamental to my life, and I believe they should be fundamental to every Christian's life and fundamental as a core value for us as a church. And we're going to come to a story this morning which has been read to us, which help us see uh, why the Bible and prayer are so essential for our life together. And it's a wonderful story. Uh, Now, we've had read Acts chapter 4, 
And um, if you are got your Bibles there, please do open up. Uh, we're at page 1092. Uh, the story really runs across two chapters, chapters 3 and chapter 4. And we looked at chapters 1 and 2 last week. And if you've ever been uh, on a beach mission or you remember some of the kids' song, um, the story begins with Peter and John going out to the temple and they meet a crippled beggar who's been beggared, uh, not beggared, he's been crippled since birth. And the beggar asks for money and you've got that famous Sunday school song, silver and gold have I none, such as I have give I thee, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Where that great song comes from. Well, it's this chapter, chapter 3. And Peter and John, uh, in the power and in the name of the Lord Jesus, heal this crippled beggar, which creates this furor. And Peter and John then go and explain the gospel. And it's fascinating. Um, You've got this incredible miracle that's taken place. What they want to talk about, though, is the authority for them doing it. And they speak of the authority that comes in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in particular, what they want to talk about is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. In fact, Peter cannot help himself. And you see this all through the book of Acts. Whenever opportunity arises, what you find the apostles talking about, it may start from a very different situations. Uh, Last week we saw it started with, if I can say, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Where does it finish? Talking about the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. This week you've got the healing of a man who's been crippled since birth. Where does Peter want to go to? To talk about the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. Now surprise, surprise, um, well there's no surprise really. Uh, Chapter 4 verse 2, there's opposition from the religious leaders. Um, They don't want them speaking. Now it's interesting, they don't complain about the healing What they complain about is them teaching about the Lord Jesus and the resurrection from the dead. And the apostles push back, uh, as we saw in the reading today, and they've got that famous verse, we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and what we've heard. They call a prayer meeting and they call upon God and then it starts all over again. And against this backdrop, what I want to ask the question is, why is the Bible so important so fundamental for us. And what, in fact, is the Bible? Um, It's a good question to ask. And when you come and think about um, the Bible here that we see in Acts chapter 3, 4, um, I think often we think of these kind of answers when you think about what the Bible is. Um, People might say it's a book that contains lots of different books. And there's no doubt about that. There's 66 books making up this one book. It's an incredible work, if I can say, of literary writing over hundreds and hundreds of years. Now, Christians will say it's not just a human book, it's a divine book. We believe it's inspired by God. In fact, if you read it, you can hear God speak to you personally. And we'd also want to say that though there are many stories, they tell, in fact, one story. Uh, There's an overarching story which holds the first page and the last page together and all the other pages that are contained within it. And the one story that all the other stories are about is about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we've got this book. But I want to give you another way of thinking about uh, the scriptures this morning. Um, The Bible comes about because of an event. And in fact, really, there are three major events 
that all of Scripture hangs on. And these are events where God has acted. The first event is the event of creation. The second event we looked at, I wasn't here, but second term, the exodus. And then the third major event, which is what the other events point to, is the arrival and the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what happens is, God has acted in this incredible way in these events. And then he speaks. And there is a message that comes to explain the way God has acted. And then after that, it gets written down and recorded. And the Bible is this, if I can say, record of the way God has acted and the message that comes to the world as of the result of the events that have taken place. And in particular, the central event of the Bible is the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And flowing from that event, you have a message that goes out to the world. And what you see here uh, in this book and in Acts chapters 3 and 4 is the way the event has shaped the life of the community and become a message. Now, at this point in history, all they've got is the Old Testament scriptures. They haven't got the New Testament. In a sense, it's still being written. But it's being written about the very events that we've got before us today. Now, if you've got your Bibles there, just turn back to Acts chapter 2, because you'll see the genesis of what we call the New Testament. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And after the church began, they heard the first gospel message from the Apostle Peter... Uh, It's interesting, you've got this description of the fellowship of the believers, which is the early church. And the opening words are, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And you see, that's what the scriptures are in the New Testament. It's the apostolic teaching, their message about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's interesting as you go through the passage that we've got before us today in chapter 3... What you see is that the apostles cannot stop talking about the resurrection. Have a look at chapter 3, verse 13 to 15. The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though uh, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. And you see, this is the event and the message that they could not stop speaking. You have a look at chapter 4, verse 2. What's the accusation against the apostles and against Peter? It's not that they've healed the man. I mean, no one can debate that. Chapter 4, verse 2 says this. They were greatly disturbed... Because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. What a dreadful thing to proclaim. Have a look at Acts verse 14. This is Peter speaking and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And he says, know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands healed. Verse 12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind 
by which we must be saved. That's interesting. In verse 18, uh, the religious leaders call them in and command them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John reply, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And scripture is, if I can say, this living message about the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's a lot in this book that we call the Bible. But in essence, it's all about this one major event that has rocked history. And it's a message that obviously needs explaining. It's a message that's got implications for our life. Uh, It's a message that transforms our life. It's why there's wisdom literature. It's why there's songs. Uh, It's why they've got letters in there explaining things. But at the centre of the Bible is this event. The death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and the message that flows from that that's been recorded. And you see, that is what the Bible is. And I say that because I think sometimes we think, uh, and I know people from outside the church will say this, um, they'll view it as a collection of wise sayings. Um, They'll view it as there's some helpful things that Jesus taught you. His parables have got good lessons for life. I remember uh, listening to Tanya Plibersek. Uh, She was on Q&A and the question came to her faith. It was a very interesting episode that night. Now, she doesn't profess to have any faith, but she did say, look, she remembers her childhood and Sunday school teaching, and she values the teaching of Jesus. And I think many people will value the scriptures at that level. But the Bible is far more than that. And it's far more than just, if I can say, a story we remember and celebrate at key points in the year, i.e. Christmas and Easter. You see, at the centre of the Word of God, the Bible is an announcement of an event that has literally changed the world. The death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you see that here in these chapters, chapter 3 and chapter 4. As the disciples now begin their ministry, they heal this crippled beggar. The thing that they want to announce to the world is not the healing, but it's the person who provided the authority for this healing, the one who is the name who is above every name, uh, the one who has the only name by which humanity can be saved, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when told to be quiet and stop doing this, they say, well, we cannot. How can we stop speaking about what we have actually physically seen? (laughs) We've seen the resurrected Jesus... And we've heard him, and we want to proclaim him to the world. We are not going to be quiet. And you see, that's why this scripture, this Bible, this word of God is so authoritative. Because it proclaims the resurrection of Jesus, it proclaims salvation. To all who will come to him. It proclaims hope and life 
to any who will come to him. It proclaims healing. It is such a wonderful message. It's a message of authority. It's a unique message. Peter tells us there is no other name given by which we can be saved. The unique authority of scripture comes from the unique event that it's founded upon. The resurrection. And it's worth saying it's an urgent message. Now when Peter finished preaching his first sermon in Acts chapter 2, it said he warned them and pleaded with them. There's a great urgency to proclaiming the gospel. When told and instructed and threatened to stop speaking, Peter says actually we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. You see, the Bible is not just another holy book that has some relevance for parts of our life. It's a book that gives you a whole new reality about life. It gives us a new worldview. It's not to give you merely a more coloured story for your life, but it's in fact a different story of your life. And the resurrection is the key to it all. Life comes through the Lord Jesus. And I want to say this, you can't understand the Bible without understanding the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And the other thing is true, you can't understand the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus without reading the Bible. The only Jesus we have is the Jesus contained here. And so you have to read it, but as you read it, what you need to actually find and understand is the Lord Jesus Christ. And I say that because lots of people will read the Bible, but they'll never actually get what the Bible's about. It's about an event that proclaims salvation to the world and to us individually. Well, that's the first thing I want to talk about, the Word of God. I'm going to come back to talk pastorally about what it means for us in our own lives. But the Bible is fundamental for us because it's the book that we base our life upon because it's the book that brings the message of salvation, of the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. But secondly, prayer. Why is prayer so important and what is it? Let's read on and have a look at chapter 4, verse 23. The religious leaders threaten them. They can't decide how to punish them and they release them. Basically, having told them to be quiet. But on their release, we read in verse 23, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. In other words, they go back and they tell them, look, they want us to be quiet. Now, what's the response? Uh, It's incredible. It said, when they heard this, and I take it that's the people, uh, it's not just Peter and John, uh, the report comes back, this is what happened to us, threatened us with punishment, etc., etc., Well, the immediate response of the people is this. When they heard this, they raised their voices in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord. I want you to just stop there. You see, prayer is a recognition that there is a God who sovereignly runs this world. And more than that, who calls us to come to him. It's just instinctive within them 
They know this God. And the way that they address him, I think, is very instructive for us. Sovereign Lord. You are the one who's in control, and to be the sovereign is to be the one who rules over all things. Prayer is not wish thinking. It's not speaking to an imaginary friend. It's communicating with the Lord of heaven and earth, to the sovereign Lord. And I think the the incredible reality is that God listens to our prayers. And what's more, he actually uses them in how he runs this world. That's the incredible thing. You see, God doesn't need us to run this world, but one of the ways he does that is he actually calls us to pray and he uses our praying. Now, how that works out in terms of him being sovereignly in control is beyond my capacity to fully understand. But it is the reality. You see, he calls us into his plans and he calls us to pray. And when I think about prayer, I just think about the ways I see him answer prayer. And it's incredible. And I think the wonderful thing about praying is you can pray anywhere at any time. I've had prayer meetings here in the church and I guess there's a sense of which we might feel closer to God in kind of a way because we're in you know, the building that we use for worship. But it's kind of false thinking at one level. Um, I've had prayer meetings out in my tinny, fishing, <laughs> praying for things that have come up in conversation. And I've seen answers to prayer. I've had prayer meetings in bedrooms late at night with children. I've had prayer meetings just as I've met people in the street where people have poured out their heart to me and I've prayed for them. I've had prayer meetings everywhere. And I think of healing and the way I've seen people healed that we've prayed for where there's been sickness. I think of peace that has come into people's lives when there's been anxiety. I think of joy that has been given to people where there's been weight and concern. I think of protection that has been over people when there's been attack. I think of people who've been converted that we've prayed for. I think of people being provided for when they've been in great need. I think of this church and finances that have come when we've had issues and problems. Every time I get to the end of the year, it always amazes me when I look back and I see the way prayers have been answered. It's one of the reasons why, and I'll keep saying this every year, we start the year on our knees in a week of prayer and fasting. It's just so important. And you see the pattern for that here in the life of the early church. As soon as the report comes in about the opposition, they instinctively are on their knees, raising their voices to the sovereign Lord. And I think the second thing to note here is how they pray. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. 
Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Now it's interesting. What they're praying here is Psalm 2. Now if you're not familiar with Psalm 2, it's a psalm about the messianic king and about the conflict that he enters into. And basically they pray this psalm because they recognise that this is exactly what is taking place before them. That there is a conflict where, if I can say, the world and the rulers of the day will scoff at God's anointed one. Now the end of the psalm basically says, don't worry, God will rule. In other words, don't be put off by this. And I take it that they quote this psalm Because what they're saying is we want to understand the world you live in and we're praying according to what your word says and we know, Lord, that you will conquer, conquer, that you will not be overcome. And so the prayer there, according to scripture, is according to God's will. And you see, we need to pray the word of God because that's how God has revealed himself to us. Prayer is seeking to understand God's mind from the scriptures and then call him to act in our own circumstances. We take hold of the promises of God and we bring them before him. And God calls us to come. And I take it one of the most fundamental things about prayer is this. It helps us recognize in the most profound way that all our efforts are dependent on upon him that he is God and we are not well let me just stop and just get us to think pastorally about this core value of the Bible and prayer I want to think firstly about the Bible and the thing I want to say is this um, it, it needs to be a book that is living in the parish and living in our lives And I was just thinking about quiet times and the need to read the Bible personally, daily. Let me share why it's so important for me. Uh, One of the reasons I read the Bible each day is that it keeps reminding me that this world is not all there is. You see, every day when I walk out the door, this world proclaims to me this world is all there is and get as much of it as you can. And I need to read this every day because it reminds me actually that is not reality. This world is not all there is. There is a God who has saved me and loved me. And there is a God who one day I'll stand before. Keep living according to that. I read it because I need to be corrected of mistakes I make. And so often I feel rebuked by the Holy Spirit. I read it because I need to be reassured that God is with me. I need to know that. I read it because I enjoy it. It's it's a wonderful book. And there's such wonderful stories in it. And it is enjoyable just to read about the way God has worked and been victorious. It's worth saying I read it when I don't feel like reading it because I know it's good for me. I read it because it's God's word to me and to the world. And I need to hear from him each day. You think about small groups. Uh, Why does Scott and his team work so hard to produce good material to study the Bible with? It's because this is such an important part of our life together that together we read and discuss and apply the Bible to ourselves. And I want to say something to us. 
I don't think you can grow to real maturity in your faith if you are not reading and studying the Bible in fellowship with others. You see, our natural tendency is to be self-interested and to ignore our faults and to just do the things we like to do and just believe the things we like to believe. And one of the realities is God has made us to be in relationship with each other. And we actually need each other to learn from each other and to give to each other. And the reality of fellowship is this. um, As I speak the word of God to others and as I receive that from others, and as we discuss it together, it helps me and I grow in my walk with Christ. As I realize I need to change some things, I need to learn some things, I cannot live the Christian life by myself, and I'm a minister with, if I can say, two degrees in theology. All of us need Christian fellowship, and we need the Word of God to be alive in our relationships together. It's why I would just encourage everyone who's not in a group to be in a group where you can actually be reading, studying, and applying the Bible together. And lastly, why, is the, uh, why am I so excited about the Word one-to-one ministry? Um, in terms of reading John's gospel with people because it's such an exciting way to bring the message of Jesus' death and resurrection to people who are not yet followers of Christ and such an accessible way to bring the word of God to the world. Let me give some thoughts on prayer and then I'll finish. I just want to say this, if you are not a regular prayer, you don't need to be an expert. All you need to do is literally open your heart and your mind to Christ and his word and speak to him. And prayers don't need to be long. There's no magic words or right words. Just read the Bible, let it inform your mind and call out to God and pray when you're happy, pray when you're in need, pray when you start something, pray when you finish something. Seek God's help and assistance. Seek his wisdom, seek his direction, seek his protection. Prayer is how we relate to God. And I would just encourage you, in your individual walk, in your groups together, that you are praying. It is one of the most important things that we can do. And one of the most important things I do every week is to come down here at 7 o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday and pray. And we do it every week because we want to make sure all the activities of the church are undergirded by our prayers. Friends, I'm going to finish there. Um, and it's a topic I feel very passionate about in terms of the Bible and prayer. But what you see here, if I can sum up, is when the early church began, it was founded on these two key activities. There was a message which they proclaimed, which we have now in the Scriptures, the New Testament. And there was prayer that they engaged in in all the seasons of life. And those two key activities of reading and proclaiming the word of God and praying to our sovereign Lord need to undergird everything we do as a church. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you that we can pray. May there be fundamental to who we are And how we do our ministry, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.